Hey, it's Greg Brady. Great to have you for Toronto Today on October the 12th after a long weekend. We start by talking about mixed messaging. It's getting tiring. It's getting really hard to handle. And we got some from the federal health minister on the weekend saying, don't travel unless it's absolutely necessary. But who's she talking to? Me, a fully vaccinated person with a fully vaccinated wife and two fully vaccinated kids? Don't travel. Don't. We're spending money to stir up the tourism industry. Don't travel. Who's supposed to not travel? We just saw the prime minister fly out to Tofino, B.C. Should he not have done that? Forget the where and when and maybe what else he should have been doing. Very confusing, and I want to get to some of that. Uh, Dr. Isaac Bogosh, as well as we talk about some new developments from Merck in the United States for an antiviral COVID pill that they're developing. And the data looks good, but we all need to see it as opposed to just a press release. Anthony Fury from the Toronto Sun, his thoughts on a school closure today in Toronto and some of the zany, crazy lockdown rules. There's hypocrisy happening for sure. And Elizabeth McIsaac will join us as well, talking about the need to get homeless people indoors, especially coming towards uh, the the winter and the bad weather. We talked to her, and we'll do What Happened When uh, for October the 12th. Great to have you along. Enjoy the Toronto Today podcast. Last week, uh, the mayor of the city of Toronto and city council decided they're going to push on legislation to do with multi-tenant houses or rooming houses. Um, there could They could be regulated. They could be put into in, into work and uh, and and we could help a, at least a touch. We could move the ball forward down the field a little bit when it comes to people who need this help, who need to get back on their feet, who are homeless. We already know it's been well documented. The city spent close to a million dollars on cops and private security to kick um, homeless and disenfranchised people out of three different parks. Protesters showed up. It got aggressive. It got violent. It certainly did that at Trinity Bellwoods in June, uh, certainly at Lamport Stadium in July. Joining me to discuss, she wrote an op-ed uh, on this, uh, is the president of Maytree. She is Elizabeth McIsaac. Elizabeth, it's great to have you on. Thanks for making the time for us. Thanks for having me. What did the mayor and Toronto City Council not do? Where did they fall down where you want to see them step up? What would have been good news last week? What, have, what would have been proactive in your mind? What would have been good news is if they had passed the motion to move forward with the legalization citywide of multi-tenant houses um, and putting in place a regulatory framework so that we could see more uh, rooming houses, multi-tenant houses, under a licensing and permitting system and not operating in an illegal haphazard way. How how bad was the homeless crisis prior to COVID? What has COVID done to um, expand and exacerbate it? Well, I think what we've heard over and over again is that COVID has exacerbated everything. Every mm-hmm. every fracture in our system is now glaring. It's, it's an open wound and we need to do better. What we're seeing on the housing system is a real collapse. And, and the, the signs of it are, as you rightly noted, where we see people who are having to sleep rough. They're, they're in parks. Um, we don't have the system operating at full throttle, the supportive housing system, um, appropriate levels of deeply affordable housing for people in our society, in our, in our city, who don't have enough to pay $1,400, $2,000, $2,500 a month in rent. We need a range of options. And this part of the housing system 
to get fixed and it needed to be fixed for a long time. Rooming houses are are one thing. I want to ask you, um, and, and I'll certainly come back to it. I want to ask you what your thought is on on tiny homes and tiny houses. Um, you know, I, I could send people to SeattleTinyHomes.com. Seattle and Portland are two obviously very progressive cities in the Pacific Northwest that have had major homeless crises during COVID and as we just talked about before. And they've put these tiny homes that look a bit like trailers together, but they're really cost prohibitive compared to constantly shuttling people around to shelters, dealing with addiction treatments when necessary. And as I documented, spending, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to move people from park to park. Is there a distinction where you go? These tiny homes would, would work, but we're just not we're just not hip to that yet in Canada. Well, we're actually experimenting in the city of Toronto. So we had something called modular housing in Vancouver, and Mm -hmm. Toronto has a pilot underway, and it's very much along the same lines and logic. You know, can we do smaller, uh, more more rapidly implemented types of housing where people can get into, you know, a space that is theirs, that is private, that has all of the protections that they need? That's absolutely worth experimenting. And I think what you've touched on is that there's a range of housing options we need to be uh, developing and evolving so that all the various needs of people can be met. And so we can't just do one thing. It's all of them. Yeah, there's, there's got to be a, a combination a, a effect and, and sort of spread it uh, spread it far and wide. Elizabeth McIsaac is our guest president of Maytree. You can go to Maytree.com uh, and read more about their op-ed um, that's critical of the mayor and city council. That's that's one thing that many city councillors who have been more pro- proactive when we've brought, you know, Josh Matlow on, uh, when we brought Mike Layton on, they point this out, that there's just a stodginess. There's a nimbyism, obviously, in a city where the vast majority of people have to rent. And it's uh, it, it's tough to live. It's tough to make ends meet. So why a lot of people who do what I do, you know, they start out in the suburbs and, and maybe they'll never buy in the city. But Toronto's not getting any cheaper to live in. And these problems are growing and growing. They are growing, and and what we need is a citywide standard way of approaching it. What we've inherited from amalgamation is a patchwork of of permits and licensing practices. So it's not legal to have a multi-tenant house in Scarborough or North York or East York. It's kind of possible in parts of Etobicoke. It's kind of possible in parts of the old city of York, and it's, it's all permissible and licensed in the city of Toronto. This is one city now. It's been 23 years. Um, let's get a standard. Um, it's only fair that it happens in the same way across the city. And what has been brought forward, I would say, by very hardworking public servants who have been at this for years now, is a is a sound, considered policy that has to get implemented in order for, for everyone to experience the same fairness. Elizabeth, the idea of deferring this, the criticism that I've heard over the last week or so of Meritory, of of the city councils that decided to do this, is they are trying to have their cake and eat it, too. They're not coming out and saying, hey, look, this isn't a big priority for us right now, or our constituents don't want this, so we're saying no unilaterally. Delaying it is sort of, you know, I, I'm not calling it cowardly, but it's it's something where they're really not, they're, you know, the rubber doesn't meet the road here by just pushing it on down the line when these situations need to be taken care of. Now, they don't, they seem quite concerned about how it will look if they say, hey, look, this isn't this isn't at the top of my list right now. Well, it should be at the top of their list because it's impacting people in communities and neighborhoods across the city. And and I and I think when we're in a crisis, and I don't think anyone would dispute the fact that we have a housing crisis. You've identified a couple of key parts of that: people sleeping on the streets, people being um, having to go to shelters, not enough affordable housing, all of these elements. 
What we need in a crisis is leadership that's going to be bold, it's going to be courageous, and it's going to say, I know it's not going to be popular with every single person, Mm. but this is for the greater good of everybody, so we need to get this through. 14 people have died in illegal rooming houses in the last 10 years. It is a health and safety issue. Mm. People are getting illegally evicted because they're not legal tenants, because none of this is legalized. This stuff has to get brought under control. If you let something go underground, bad things happen. Yeah. And and again, coming out of COVID, whatever that looks like and whatever that feels like and whatever that means, um, this problem isn't just going to vanish uh, with the snap of a finger. It, it, it needs proactive work. Elizabeth, thank you very much for coming on. I'm happy to point people towards Maytree.com so they can find out more about it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Elizabeth McIsaac uh, from Maytree. There's a lot to get to. There's this Merck news. We played you the clip from Dr. Scott Gottlieb, one of our favorites earlier uh, in the show. There's the school closing. There's this. There's that. Let's bring on uh, a guy with answers, Dr. Isaac Bogush, uh, kind enough to join us and make time for our audience today. Thank you very much for doing so. You know we appreciate it. I hope you had a great holiday weekend. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, always happy to chat. I had a great weekend. Super relaxing. How about you? Uh, solid little, little trip to London, uh, there and back and a visit to a long-term care home, but you know, an important thing to do, uh, we're visiting my father-in-law and, uh, on the Sunday morning and, um, it's rough, man. We're all, uh, we all age. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's that inevitable. So I'm not trying to bring you down with my answer either. <laughs> I tried, I tried my best, but, um, you know, you feel better about going than not going. My mom went through it with her mom too. And also it's just a, you know, it's a, you're one of not, you know, not everyone in the province has an inside look at those care facilities, and you can probably see firsthand some of the challenges they, they might have had, you know, a year and a half ago throughout throughout this pandemic. Uh, you know, even they're, they're well, some of them are better designed than others, but you can just, once you see it, you can sort of see how it can be very challenging to keep infections at bay and under control in a setting. Oh like yeah. That. Yeah. There, there's that. And you see these people uh, who give and give and, and I, you know, this is just me seeing it and I'm like, I hope these people are getting paid properly and I hope yeah. they stick around. That's the biggest thing that we've learned. I think coming out of this for almost, almost two calendar years now is the importance of this job and the, the importance of stability in these workplaces. So you don't have to keep retraining and bringing new people in and making sure the chemistry works. Who wants that? So uh, we have to do those things. Yeah, I'm with you all the way on that. Um, so, you know, you, you've given the NHL some advice before. Before we get to Merck and, and some of the issues, uh, Leafs start back up tomorrow night. That doesn't feel real. And they got three home games within six days. It's it's not to ask you what the demand of tickets should be like uh, and whether we'll, since we've doubled capacity from Friday and gone 9,500 right to 19,000, I'm all for that because the, all the patrons should be fully vaccinated. But I'm hearing from people, you probably are too, that people like you and me who are fully vaxxed, we're ready to go. There will be people hesitant to take unvaccinated kids. There will be people hesitant to take their their 80-year-old dad um, to uh, you know leave senators on Saturday night. I get that. We're all approaching this at different levels. Yeah, I, I completely understand that as well, right? We're all we all experienced this pandemic differently. And some of us were directly impacted. All of us were indirectly impacted. And, you know, everyone's got a different comfort level. I, I maybe some people aren't really ready to to do that just yet. And that's totally okay. It might take some people more time than others. Fine. Uh totally, totally fine. I think that, you know, the concept of putting twenty thousand people into an indoor venue, uh you know, it's it's hard to wrap our heads around that for well, some people to wrap their heads around that right now because we've been so careful and cautious uh, at, at various times in the pandemic, at least for the last year and a half. 
Um, and, you know, I think we just have to appreciate that things change. And I guess my only two concerns are the communication front and the policy front. On the communication front, we still have to communicate uncertainty. It's not fair to say that this is over yet. We'd all love it to be over, but there are going to be peaks and valleys and, uh, and bumps along the road as we wriggle our way through this pandemic. And I think that sometimes this is parlayed as a one-way street forward with reopening, 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 yeah. when in fact, maybe it should be parlayed as, listen, there are expected and unexpected bumps along the road. We might have to pull back a little bit. We might not, but at least communicate that uncertainty because it's a, it's a reality. I mean, you look at a place like um, New Brunswick, for example, they're getting pummeled right now. They have high rates of vaccination, mm -hmm. but they had an explosion of cases and their hospitals are getting overwhelmed. I mean, you've got to pull back in a situation like that. Yeah, it's, it's what we didn't expect. And what, you know, uh, thankfully, and it's not, you know, some of these things are fluky, but some of them are data driven and, and we are highly vaccinated. I think we've been great at risk mitigating in Ontario and um, and we've done well. That said, um, I want I want you to be able to react to the breaking news today, and that's uh, Silverthorne Collegiate closing up uh, the first high school in Toronto that closes. And I hear two sides of this, Dr. Bogosh. One is people saying, well, you know what, we made it to October 12th in Toronto without a school closure. Oh, okay, that's great. The other is, wow, like we've talked about test to stay before, and it, I can't imagine how demoralizing it is for a family to have a 16 and 17-year-old sent home who's fully vaccinated, who's asymptomatic, who'd be happy to test uh, to stay yeah. in school, and now they're isolating for 14 days. And as a lot of listeners pointed out this morning, Dr. Bogosh, they're probably not isolating. They might continue to play sports and continue to have a part-time job and go to the movies with a girlfriend. Like, we, we were not going to be able to mandate and force that isolation, which is the whole point of staying home. Absolutely. You know how multiple things can be true? As you point out, multiple things can be true. You know, it's there's two over 2 million people in Ontario schools five days a week, right? This is the largest sanctioned mass gathering event in the province, probably actually in the country. Yeah. Okay? Of course there's going to be cases introduced and outbreaks doesn't mean we have to accept it it just means we need to do as much as we can to prevent cases from entering the school and to prevent cases from being transmitted within the school easy to say harder to do in real world settings i mean i know if you look online everyone has a silver bullet for this but there are things that we can do to make the school environment safer but as you point out why is it that we're in october of 2022 and we don't have rapid tests deployed in a setting exactly like this, exactly like you laid out to keep people back in school. Like you could really implement this right here, right now to not close the school, but to use rapid testing to get negative kids or I shouldn't say kids, mm -hmm. adolescents back in the school in a safe environment. And, and this, is the, this is the way to do it. This is the way to do it. So it's kind of frustrating that, you know, we've been talking about integrating rapid testing into various settings for well over a year now. Here's the time to do it. We have them. We know, how to, we know what they do. We know how to deploy them. We know how to interpret them. And this would be a, an opportune time to use them. And, and what element of accuracy do they do they give us? They, it, it's a start. It's a it's way, way better than nothing. I know there's a dispute among the rapid test versus the PCR test that take a lot more than 15 minutes to come back. For example, like I said, I did a rapid test uh, Sunday morning at the long term care home. You wait 15 minutes. If they tell you it's if they don't tell you it's negative, you go where you need to go. But that's exactly what we could be doing this morning. Those tests should be at this school with with 11 cases out of 875 students, not even 2%. That's what we should be doing instead of sending 875 kids home to various oh, households. It's kind of
kind of nuts when you think about it. And the answer to the, the first part of that question is, remember, the question that rapid test answer is, am I contagious to other people right now? Yes or no? That's the question to answer, which is the irrelevant question to ask if, as, a, as you're about to go into school or work or another indoor venue. Am I contagious to others right this minute? Yes or no? So that's different from PCR because PCR mm-hmm. is exquisitely sensitive and they'll ask, do I have shreds of the virus genetic material in the back of my nose? Yes or no. You might have already been infected weeks ago and not be contagious to others. You might be about to be contagious to others in the next day or so, but you're not contagious to others right now. Uh, but they, it, you know, the rapid test addresses the question at hand for the schools. And there's been very good studies that have been documented, even in school settings, with the test to stay approach. I, I mean, I personally mm-hmm. think it's reasonable. But of course, like anything else, just full disclosure, if you lined up 100 people in medicine, science, public health, you're probably going to get several different answers. My strong bias is that we should be deploying these rapid tests in the setting exactly like this. Uh, because you could get more kids in school. Yeah, that's exactly what they're there for, and exactly what uh, you know what what uh, what kids and I think parents would would prefer to have as opposed to this uh, lack of solution, as it were. All right, south of the border, I mentioned earlier, Merck is asking the FDA to authorize an antiviral pill to treat COVID nineteen. Um, it's I, I, it's exactly the same scenario almost, and you, you know you you would talk to us in this time slot last year about the vaccines. Hey, there's good news from Pfizer, good news from Moderna, and you'd always say very much so show me that data let me know exactly where this is at because it's a lot of hype from a press release but it's a real positive if we get a, if we get a result here with an antiviral pill then we are a lot further down the road getting covid to be closer to what what actually would be the flu 100 percent. i mean if you had a pill where someone if you were diagnosed with covid and early on in the illness you can identify people who are at risk of having a severe outcome you give them a couple of tablets to take for a few days and it reduces their risk of getting into uh, of being hospitalized or having a severe outcome fantastic that would be fantastic it's practical mm. it would be a, hopefully affordable and we know it might be expensive but if it's if it's available and affordable and it works this would be a very very helpful tool in the toolbox having said that as you point out show us the data we had a lot of hype we've had a lot of press releases uh but we actually don't know all the data and and this is something that needs to be transparent publicly Mm. available um let's see let's see listen i'm cautiously optimistic with a touch of skeptical as well and i i want this to work Mm. just as well as as much as anyone else but let's see a peer-reviewed study let's see some preprint data let's see something more than uh, the the uh, press releases from the company. I got about a minute here, but I got a text asking, please ask Dr. Bogosh about Nova Novavax. And ironically, you just tweeted about it. So not to ask you to read your tweet, but formulate w- some of the good news about it, but also some of the mystery as to what's taken so long for uh, for approval in a lot, of, a lot of Western European countries and obviously here as well. Yeah, I mean, Novavax released some clinical trial data with a big study of 30,000 people. The vaccine appears to be safe, appears to be quite effective, about uh, 90% efficacy, which is fantastic. Looks like it aligns with other big vaccine companies' uh, vaccine data. So it all looks very promising. I think there's holdups for um, uh, use and implementation because they're are some production issues. Maybe there's a component of the vaccine that uh, that has some production issue. I have to look into this a little bit further. I've been asking around. I think that's an answerable question. I just don't have the answer to it. But from a science standpoint, from a medical standpoint, yeah, looks like it's a mm. safe and effective 
product based on what we know now, and hopefully it's another tool that we can use to deploy widely. Dr. Bogosh, awesome stuff. You're always great. Uh, always appreciate you uh, shooting straight with our listeners, and thanks very much for the time today. My pleasure. Have a great day. We think a lot of this is just plain silly, right? The walking in the restaurant with a mask, etc. San Francisco, and I will ask her about this on tomorrow's show. San Francisco is set to lift mask requirements in indoor gyms and offices next week. You heard me right. San Francisco, California, not Texas, not Florida, but only if everyone inside is vaccinated. Here's what happens. As long as the numbers of newly confirmed infections and patients being admitted to hospitals, not cases, remain stable and low, San Fran will lift indoor masking requirements on October 15th in offices and gyms and indoor college and university classrooms. What a novel concept. Places of worship, employer commuter vehicles and other gatherings of people who meet regularly but don't exceed 100 people. Like that's what people are looking for when they go and get fully vaccinated. And especially if they're hesitant, then it's like, well, you know, what changes for you? Well, n nothing. Just keep wearing the mask and being careful. And you've got the health minister saying, don't travel unless it's absolutely necessary for our country. You're like, it, there's so much mixed messaging. It drives you mad. Anthony Fury joins me now, columnist from the Toronto Sun. Am I right? Off ramps, uh, roadmaps, benchmarks. San, this is San Francisco. That's as progressive a city and as progressive a state as there is in North America. San Francisco is a little more progressive than Calgary. And they're going forward and saying, here's what you get if you get fully vaccinated and we keep our hospitalizations low. It's not about cases. Yeah, Greg, you've nailed it. But quite frankly, the United States has always had a more balanced approach to this than we have here. Things have been really politicized along sort of left wing, right wing lines in Canada, which is unfortunate. I know people play the game saying, oh, well, Florida, and you sort of take a uh, take an attack against the governor because he's Republican. But at the same time, I remember back in January, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, who is a very left wing individual, mm -hmm. She was a champion for reopen the restaurants, reopen these locations, because we know spread isn't happening there. We can mitigate it and so forth. January, before they had a vaccine rollout. So things have always been, I, I think, much more nuanced and complex, a sort of state-by-state, state, even county-by-county county conversation they've had in various states. So, yeah, off-ramps, exit ramps, they're looking for them much more down there. I think people got involved with Thanksgiving weekend, and, and you know, they're not maybe not paying quite as much attention and logging off of Twitter smart move um and they say but they they hear this clip this morning that i played from mercedes stevenson talking to to patty haidu and they're like like they're beyond themselves and not it's not it's not about where justin trudeau went it's not about you know uh traveling across and having a federal election where right. you know federal leaders are crisscrossing the globe but now oh don't travel unless it's absolutely essential is madness when you don't distinguish who's doing the traveling who's vaccinated who isn't are you taking your kids are you not are you going by plane or by car there's there's no guidance there's no guidance that's a that's a nuts that's a nutso statement to make um in terms of public health no certainly i mean i think the phrase stay home if sick is a phrase that makes a lot of sense to everybody right now and there's been a lot of conversations of hey why weren't we saying that phrase even more prior to the pandemic. I mean, maybe we mm -hmm. should have been promoting that in our culture a bit more. But now the generic phrase, stay home, that's the phrase we used, uh, you know, a year and a half ago, a year ago and so forth, or, or during the third wave in February or what have you. But to just blanket say, stay home right now to Canadians, to people in Ontario, when there's people saying, hey, we got a business open, we'd like patrons there, stay home. Can you please tell me why, particularly for the vaccinated areas, the low risk areas, stay home? 
why? Can you give me a compelling argument why I should even do that? And I don't believe Patty had you can. I get this message uh, from a, a listener named Robert, uh, unrelated to your conversation with Anthony, but 18,000 in Scotiabank tomorrow night, but I can't join my wife for an ultrasound for our baby and I'm fully vaccinated. Make it make sense. I can and you probably can't. <laughs> I just like you know, and, and, and you know what, Greg, when it comes to these sort of medical visitation uh, rules, I mean, I, I know there's been people, people in my life who have been denied uh, seeing someone who's really sick or, or you know, on, on their deathbed because, oh, you can only have one designated person there and, and whatnot over the past 18 months. And I think that stuff, is it silly? Is it ridiculous? Yes, yes. Is it inhumane? Is it cruel? Yes. It's also those things. And I think hospital administrators uh, need to up their game. I, I've been told, I'm not sure if this particular rule is still in place, but for many, many months, you couldn't send flowers to a person who was in hospital. So not only were they alone, but they couldn't receive any gifts. And I talked to some doctors and I said, guys, you know, why is this happening? Why is it still happening? And they basically said, well, we don't want to, you know, use the staffing resources to have the person let in the flower delivery guy or bring it up or so forth. Administrators have just realized it's more convenient to do it this way. Well, you know what? Too bad. You've actually got to serve the people who are there as well. So I think we have to just end some of this malarkey. Anthony Fury joining us from the Toronto Sun on Toronto Today, Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Um, the the school closure today at Silverthorne, as I, uh, I documented earlier in the show, there are states in ev- everywhere, red states, blue states, north, south, east, west, that have put tests to stay in. You've written about right. tests to stay. I've been talking about it. I, I can't imagine the... You know, the dread of getting that email, knowing I've got a fully vaccinated teenager. They can they can still stay on their sports team. They can do a shift at Home Depot or Canadian Tire tonight. They can go out on a date and go to a movie. But they've been sent home for 14 days from their school, fully vaccinated and absolutely asymptomatic because we can't test them at the at the doorway of the school, pop a negative and go into class as usual. And for the teachers as well. We've done this all wrong when that's the case. Yeah, and it's not even can't, it's won't. Because to your point, you can look to the UK, you can look to BC, you can look to many places in the US. And if you want Democrat, you can pick Democrat. If you want Republican, you can pick Republican, where this is not the way they're doing things. They're doing things a better way. You talk about exit ramps, off ramps, Greg. When you look at that letter that Toronto Public Health actually issued, that's that's publicly available, they actually tweeted it out about the Silverthorne closure. Towards the bottom of the letter, there's a phrase, as we learn to live with COVID-19, et cetera, and then they go on uh, to say other things. I'm sorry, learn to live with COVID-19. You're, you're clearly supportive of that. We've heard that phrase from Kieran Moore. We're hearing it on letterhead from Eileen Davila. Well, a really good way to actually do that is to stop, Greg, to your point, sending home an entire school of teenagers who we know are extremely low risk <laughs> of having serious outcomes. And to your point, they are in a vaccinated cohort. So, of them or what have you are going to be vaccinated. So, okay, fine. Give them the quick test. They don't have it. There you go. School's still open. Nobody misses a day. Nobody misses a day. Uh, you wrote on the weekend, um, and by the way, when when you put a picture of uh, of Larry David, uh, you know Richard Lewis, and and Jeff from Curvy Enthusiasm on, you're just guaranteed clicks. You're you're looking for cheap clicks. I know what you're Did doing you know here. A new season. I uh, yeah. <laughs> learned it the other day. I can't believe it. And it's going to be pandemic shtick, and it's going to be awesome. This I am I am going to take the health minister and stay at home. We've got new succession, new Curvy Enthusiasm, uh, NHL regular season games, World Series. I am staying home. Damn it, I I'm convinced. But you wrote about the idea because you know you can imagine i thought well this will just be a normal day and and dr kieran moore will lay out guidelines and then everybody 
was fixated, and I don't blame them, on the comedic aspect of telling kids outdoors, don't say trick or treat. Don't shout it. Don't say it. And I'm like, I got a recess going on behind my school every damn day. I can't sleep. (laughs) When I have an open window, which I love, a breeze coming in, I can't sleep because of lunch hour uh, recess from all the yelling and screaming. You can't tell kids not to do that. And you also, you, you make parents more worried. It's right back to the province's outdoor restrictions in April and May. I saw a huge uptick in people wearing masks and masking three-year-olds and four-year-olds because maybe they don't get it that the outdoors are safe because the province says it's not. What a problem this was last week. And, and you wrote about some of the, like, we're, we're trying to laugh in grim times, but, but that's where we're at. And my favorite guidance was for the Thanksgiving weekend, Dr. Kieran Moore, he wanted you all to know, he wanted all the adults in Ontario to know, be sure to wash your hands before food preparation. Because this is, of sure. course, something entirely unique to the pandemic that adults need to be told. If you're going to be touching raw meat, wash your hands before. What, why, why is a chief medical officer going on live television to tell you to wash your hands for your eating food? Like, what is this? Is this does he think the entire province is a kindergarten class? I and mean, if you want to talk about off ramps, exit ramps, as we've been doing, I mean, maybe I think a good way to do it is, Okay, well, everybody's been doing Thanksgiving for the entirety of their natural lives. They appreciate that there's still issues with COVID-19. How about don't issue any guidelines? How about don't do a press conference about it? I get that you did it last year because you didn't want gatherings. Now, the the actual official number for gatherings, uh, Greg, was 25 people. I mean, I don't know. That's a lot larger than I usually have any Thanksgiving or or, or, or Christmas gathering. Who cares? They should have just not done it. Yeah, it, it just yeah, it it lands the wrong way. And I don't want people scared or, or unknowledgeable where where they shouldn't be. And especially if they're if they're right. fully vaccinated, uh, worried about breakthrough cases and, and, and whatnot, when there's such there's so little to be worried about it. Fully vaccinated, uh, healthy people are not transmitting this virus. Is, is anything absolute in life? No. But guess what? It wasn't before covid either. Yeah, and I, I'd like to hear those assurances more because I, I think we, we've definitely, we've obviously moved away from the doom and gloom because they're using the learning to live with COVID phrases. So let's start hearing the good news. Let's start hearing the assurances rather than, to your point, you know, really encouraging everybody to uh, to be skittish about every possible scenario regardless of their vaccination status. Quite a week in potential um, cancel culture. Uh, Dave Chappelle and Netflix. Netflix has to come out and say, listen, if you don't like it, don't watch. There were some, uh, you know, stand-up comedy is almost a, a, a bridge on to itself, but there's a new Dave Chappelle uh, special and people are like, cancel Netflix, do that, get rid of Dave Chappelle. Kim Kardashian told what I thought were some bad domestic violence jokes about Nicole Brown Simpson on Saturday Night Live. And then we come around to John Gruden. Now, this is the one where this is the person that didn't survive. But I don't know how he could. I I, I don't know how he hangs in there in a business. He's got the only openly gay player in the NFL on his team. And a lot of his emails over the last several years, none none in the last couple of years, are, are homophobic and misogynistic. Was there another route for the Raiders here, Anthony? Uh, look, I don't know. I agree with you with the Dave Chappelle and the Kardashian stuff. I think we just need to relax. And yeah, if someone's doing an offensive comedy routine, well, you know what? A good percentage of comedy is offensive. Uh, so if you don't like it, just don't watch it. And for the Kardashian tweets, well, okay, just it's not your cup of tea. Just chill out. I agree. The Gruden situation, it, it's definitely a different situation there. I understand it's the personal emails. He wasn't, you know, saying stuff 
face-to-face with people, where in that case, you have a serious HR issue, you have a legal issue, mm-hmm. and so forth. And I, I guess he said, you know, oh, this isn't who I am. Maybe he's just trying to say it his own unique way of talking with this one person. I understand most of the emails yeah. uh, were with one guy and so forth. But, you know, you, you live in an era where, where people are not uh, uh, not supportive of this sort of stuff. So, uh, you know, you, you got to watch yourself. you got to watch your language. And, and he did not. Yeah, he didn't. Um, and and yeah, there, there's yeah, there's probably not a way back for him. I don't know that there's a rehab tour you can do in this circumstance uh, when it's all out there, because a lot of these were written while he was doing Monday Night Football on TV. Right. And that opportunity probably isn't coming uh, around again for uh, for John Gruden. I got to leave it there, Anthony. Thanks for the conversation today. Thank you, sir. Anthony Fury from the Toronto Sun. It's great to have you in. Thanks for choosing us. Really awesome to be here this morning after a a three-day long weekend. uh, And I hope travel didn't wear you out too much. We did travel, if you will, uh, between where we are uh, east of Toronto and London, Ontario. We did that uh, with our teenagers. I will say, massive step. We stayed uh, in a hotel. And... um, just for convenience and, you know, to give the kids the option to, to swim. The younger one was going to want to swim. They're 15 and 13, and it's a massive step. A lot of you can't see this coming down the pipe. Pike? Pipe? Whatever. Uh, a lot of you can't see it coming. That it's great when you can actually go somewhere and leave children in the hotel room. They're not getting abducted. They're not going to wander down the hallway. Nobody wants my 15 and 13-year-old sons unless there's some kind of, like, farm labor experiment and bodies are needed and you know that they're there behind the door and and like i've seen my kids do manual labor you don't want these two so it's great to actually be able to leave them there when you need to go places which we needed to do on uh on sunday morning i hope you had a great three-day weekend now speaking of travel let me start here i'm going to get to this Silverthorne collegiate institute issue with the school closing day bradley's lead story in the seven o'clock news, um, Anthony Fury, bottom of the hour and a uh, real slap towards the mayor and city council about rooming houses uh, from a specific group. And I want to get to that important issue, regardless of political um, bent, if you will, and slant. I think it's a pretty important thing. We all know that nimbyism, not in my backyard, that, that exists and it's maybe more prominent in a current COVID era and maybe a post-COVID era than ever. Uh, but Patty Haidu was on the West Block with Mercedes Stevenson. I started hearing about this clip on Saturday, and then it aired on Sunday. Uh, Mercedes does a phenomenal job on the West Block, which you can see on global television, and it jumped off the page for some people. Um she, she put a lot out there about vaccines, and there was a lot of good information. And uh Uh, But I don't get this. I do not understand this. And many people have pointed out the rather telling tone deafness and hypocrisy of the message. I want you to hear the clip and then you tell me how it lands for you. It lands with an absolute thud. And it's almost like, what is this a clip from 18 months ago? Is this a clip from 14 months ago at the maximum? Is it now? And by the way, by the way, was there a, I don't know, an MPP who holds maybe the greatest position of power in the country who um, laughed in the face of this recommendation? He's called the prime minister. His name's Justin Trudeau. That's his name. It's Trudeau last name, Justin first name. 
And he apparently isn't abiding by these guidelines set out by the health minister. Here's the uh, clip from the West Block yesterday. Mercedes Stevenson hosting the health minister, Patty Haidu, on, on, on the line. Right now, the United States won't recognize someone as fully vaccinated who's had an AstraZeneca shot and then, say, a Moderna or a Pfizer shot. Uh, we're expecting their rules on air travelers who can come into the country to kick in pretty soon. Have you talked to your counterpart about this in the United States? Uh, will they recognize Canadians as being fully vaccinated who have mixed vaccines? Or could we potentially have many, many, many people who can't go south of the border? Well, first, I'll just say, and I'll remind Canadians that as annoying as it is, and I think everybody is looking forward to a, a hot holiday, but some Canadians even want to travel because they haven't seen family in a very long time, that we still have travel advisories in place recommending that people don't travel unless it's absolutely necessary. Uh, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One, uh, you know, there are a number of places in the world where COVID is still very, very out of control, including some uh, American states. And we also know that uh, different jurisdictions change rules around travel very quickly. And we've seen a number of stories over the last uh, 18 months or so of Canadians uh, finding out when they've arrived in another country that the rules have changed and that they now have hurdles to get back to Canada or um, challenges uh, to get into the country in which they've just arrived. So those re recommendations, uh, those advisories are still in place. Okay. Where do I start with unpacking this messaging? This is a massive problem. This is really detrimental. And I'd rather play the clip and spread it out and, and bring my scissors to the table and, and cut and slice exactly what's wrong with it than just ignore that it happened. OK, we all can. Hey, we all can have clunky moments. Uh, we're not listening properly. We're not saying things properly. I, I But this was on Sunday and I don't know when they recorded this. Now it's Tuesday get back in front of a microphone and say, hey, listen, let me clarify some of these statements. Never mind the hypocrisy of the prime minister going to Tofino. And now this isn't about when he went, what he was supposed to be doing otherwise, and where his office said he was. Now it's just about going to B.C. for a beach vacation is something that his own minister of health said Canadians shouldn't be doing. She described it as annoying. No, no, no. What's annoying is suggesting that in the last 18 months, there have been massive cases where Canadians are traveling and then all of a sudden the rules change and we can't get back. That may have happened literally 18 months ago. It's not happening in the last two months, four months, six months. Where are those stories? Stories that occurred. I mean, my gosh, stories that occurred in April of 2020 have no relevance, zero relevance. If it's possible, less than zero relevance to what's happening now in October of 2021. Look, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. Many of you are kind enough on text to point that out. Neither is she. She's got a master's of public administration. She's got a bachelor of arts degree. Awesome. Fantastic. I would never spit in the face of a university education. But come on, that messaging, that's something that you should have learned in terms of messaging in undergrad that this kind of messaging is going to make people a suspicious of what you're suggesting don't travel make sure you don't travel what the prime minister did was cool but that what do, please don't travel and the idea that you don't distinguish between who's doing the traveling we're not we're not doing this at all in terms of public health we're not doing this at all with politicians and shouldn't we be 
Who's traveling? Where are you going? What's the plan? How will there be crowds? What are the age ages of the people traveling? What's the vaccination status of the people traveling? We're not doing any of that. Travel, don't travel. Go here, don't go there. Eat out, don't eat out. What's going on? Go to school, don't go to school. We're doing this constantly on a regular basis. That clip is disastrous communication. I'm not overemphasizing this one bit. I'll go to the wall, go to the mat, whatever device you want me to go to, um, and say that it's disastrous communication here. We have a travel ban. Like, we don't have a travel ban in place. We have recommendations not to go. You can't be serious. Because, again, you're all you're going to do, and I'm getting these messages right now. Rules, uh, what's the phrase? Rules for, uh, for me, uh, not for thee. Right, exactly. Rules for thee, but not for me. Justin Trudeau. Okay, so there's two back-to-back already. And this is what the expectation is right now. So you're making people really skeptical about what your plan is. And you have to encourage people to risk mitigate. Nowhere in there is the concept that vaccinate fully vaccinated people who are healthy or asymptomatic should be getting back and doing things that they used to do. There's nowhere in that statement. What happens when we get to 90% vaccination? Nothing seems to change. There's no roadmap. There's no off-ramp. When will this happen? When will that happen? And I know there isn't a linear date. I'm not criticizing any health minister for that. It doesn't matter. Patty Haidu, Christine Elliott. Uh, I'm not criticizing anybody south of the border. Nobody can give you a date. When can we not wear masks? I don't know. And they don't know either. But you have to tell people that it's coming because we're tired and we're wired and we're fried beyond belief. And the people we've got in charge in every level of government, regardless of political faction, seem to be too scared about being wrong. You're not. I'm not. But gosh, the politicians sure seem to be flying by the seat of their pants. That's awful messaging to lay out there. Let me bring it back to local and the top story this morning, and that has to do with Silverthorne Collegiate closing down. I mentioned it earlier, and uh, and I, I said we should be sending fully vaccinated kids uh, to school. If you're fully vaccinated and you're asymptomatic and you can pop a negative COVID test, a rapid test today, those tests should be there at this school right now. And public health officials should be testing kids at that school right now and ready to go upwards till whenever the school opens, 830, 845, whenever it is. And those people should be ready to test those kids and those teachers and those administrators. No, we're just closing the whole school. I can't imagine the air that hangs over a household and the feeling of the sense of defeat that hangs over the household of a fully vaccinated 17-year-old waking up to this news at that school today who was just getting back to an element of normalcy, just hoping that it was going to be a semi-normal school year. And we're so far behind. I mentioned in the 6 o'clock hour that counties in Georgia and school boards in Tennessee and, and, and even, yes, more progressive states like California and New York have test-to-stay programs and we don't. Never, ever, Ever again can we pat ourselves on the back and pump our tires about our own health care and our decisions and our uh, our readiness to deal with crises? This has been a 20-month crisis here. It's 
bonkers that we're sending fully vaccinated, asymptomatic 17-year-olds home to isolate for 14 days. Here's the other thing, and I want to read this text because I think it matters, and, and, and a guy's you know checking me here, and, and that's a quite okay. That's quite okay, okay? I'll tell you when I'm wrong. But here's what he says. Uh, well, I'll get to that in a second. But by the way, do you think that 17-year-old is isolating when he gets home? His school is online. I'll give you that. Should that 17-year-old not show up for his part-time job? Oh, I want to make the money. I'm not, I'm not going to isolate from that part-time job. Uh, should that 17-year-old not be playing recreational sports? Maybe he's playing hockey right now. Maybe he's on a fu- So he's not isolating. She's not isolating. We do get that, right? We get that though we're sending these kids home, I promise you they're not isolating. And I'm telling you that they shouldn't have to. That might go against the grain. That might tick off uh, you know, a health, uh, somebody in public health or even a school administrator. But I'm sorry. If my 17-year-old's coming home today from Silverthorne Collegiate and she's on a soccer team and she works part-time at Canadian Tire, I'm not giving that stuff up. I did what I was supposed to do. You can have your school policy. You won't tell me in my home with a fully vaccinated teenager what they can or cannot do. So the idea that they're isolating and hiding in the basement and having their meals left at the top of the stairs and they're isolating the rest of their family when they're negative testing, when they're fully vaccinated, when they're asymptomatic, lunacy, just lunacy. You got to be kidding me. Now, um, I wanted to get to this, uh, this text about sending fully vaccinated kids home. And I understand the concept that you may not think that that's the right thing to do. Yeah, here we go from Lee. Thank you, Lee. Uh, first time caller texter. It's only been a week since I started listening to your show. Love your discussion about Halloween Thanksgiving dinner rules set out by Kieran Moore. Um, I'd like to add though, that people are consciously and with good education and understanding, not vaccinated being segregated from others. And we have a split society, especially when fully vaccinated individuals still pose the same risks that they could to come down with COVID. So to respond to your question, comment about sending students home at Silverthorne CI, I disagree only sending the unvaccinated people students home. It's unfair and inhumane behavior and totally against all human rights. No one should be sent home. More to say, but keeping it short since it's a text. Thanks from Lee. Lee, thank you for listening. Thank you for responding. I agree. It's, this is tricky territory. I don't love the mandates. I don't even like them. But but public health has set such ridiculous standards of reopening things that I think we deem them necessary. It's just plain math. It's just data at this particular point. And unvaccinated people are guaranteed more likely to spread the virus than fully vaccinated people. And especially unvaccinated symptomatic people, that's a problem and they should be staying home. And if they come to school, we've got to turn them around and, and push them back the other way and say, you're at home until you feel better. Plain and simple. All right. Rob Trevison with us, uh, producer extraordinaire Shiba Siddiqui and Dave Bradley uh, to bring us what happened when I can tell the segments catching on, at least among one person, because they write Steve writes. Are you doing both Monday and Tuesday for what happened? When? I'm like, that's extra work. That is. That's, extra work. Yeah, <laughs> we don't get paid for like yesterday was a stat. None of us are compiling. And, and realistically, nobody cares what happens on a Monday. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. It's very true. Although people will be saying happy Monday today a fair bit. Oh, and yeah, it's not. Totally. Yeah, it's a, it's a Tuesday. It feels like a Monday. It's also October 12th. And on this day in 1609, we go way back when the children's rhyme. Three Blind Mice was actually first published in a London book. It's written by Thomas Ravencroft. And I find it fascinating that it came out that long ago. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I had no idea it was that old. 
500, and that's one of the first, I don't know if it's still something that people know, but I remember it being one of the first nursery, like, uh, you know, row, row, row your yeah, boat, yeah. right? That one, this one. like Twinkle, there were, twinkle, little star. So these things have been quote unquote hits for like 500 years. The thing is, like, I, I'm past the nursery rhyme stage with my two kids, <laughs> and I don't think I ever did the three blind mice with them. Um, like and I, I can say three blind mice, see how they run, and that's that's where I end. I'm, I'll, I'll start <laughs> mumbling from then on in. What are the the biggest old McDonald had a farm, and I would sing that to my two or three oh, year old Sheba, and I would change the like he'd go do do a pig this time, and I'm like, well, okay, here's a pig, and then do a cow, <laughs> and then you're just singing for like eleven minutes, and then you're like, this is longer than Stairway to Heaven. I want to get out of here, go to sleep. <laughs> but go. they loved it. They love it. That's the point. That's why we do these things because they loved it. The wheels on the bus go around, and oh, there's another so one. Many Wheels on the bus, right. Rob. Why are you groaning, Rob? You're in. Oh, you're in. You're in true now. nursery rhyme mode right now. Yeah, Get totally. with it. It's good times. <laughs> it is good times. On this day, 1901, the White House actually got its name. Pre- President Teddy Roosevelt uh, labeled it the White House. Prior to that, it was called the Executive Mansion. Oh, how pretentious can you get? The Executive Mansion. I love calling it the White House. I think it's cool. I once did a story. I was I was tracking something uh, and, and calling up a number of different places. I actually called the White House, and they answered the phone, <laughs> White House. No. And I'm like, really? Seriously? This is the White House? And they're like, yeah, it's the White House. And <laughs> That's I'm like, solid. This is crazy. Do you think every D.C. cab member, uh, cab driver, if you get in the car and you're like, to the White House, please, and they do they actually take you to the oh, gates? They, they know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah totally. for sure. Because Have you guys been inside? Has anybody been inside the White House? No. Oh. Hmm. No. I've been to the out, like as f- close as you can get, way across the street. Now you almost have to see it from bon- or with binoculars. Do we need a better name for um, what? Twenty four is it? Twenty two, twenty four Sussex Drive? Like we just call it like Ten Downing Street? We just have addresses in Canada and <laughs> the UK. <laughs> we true. don't call it like it's not called anything, right? Yeah, you're right. But what I think it's it? what color is it? The cottage is Rideau College. House? Beige House. Red Rideau House? Hall. Rideau Hall. Oh, is, okay. It? Yeah. But or Rito I, Cottage, Rito Cottage. Rito if I'm Cottage, the Prime yeah. Minister, I'm like, stop giving away my address. <laughs> Private. Like, I'm not even in the phone book. I'm unlisted, but you're telling everyone where I live. People the, get mad at me. The White House is 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, isn't it? Yeah. That's a pretty good yeah. on your part. Yeah. I think, was that a Wesley Snipes movie? Yeah, was I think there it was. Involved? <laughs> That's <laughs> the only reason I know that. Golly. Yeah. On this day, 1933, Alcatraz became a federal prison. You ever been... Mm. No, and I want to go. I I've been like, close by. You can. S- I didn't take the tour though. Yeah, I, all I've heard. I had a friend come from the UK to go to uh, the Bay Area, and that's all he wanted to do. That was his biggest tourist destination thing. And I'm like, shrug my shoulders. I've been three times, and we had just planned. Sheba, I know you. D- you just did this massive uh, trip out to Atlantic Canada with your family. We've been waiting to go to California, but we want to go when things are a little more normalized. But I feel like mm-hmm. we're running out of time. And Alcatraz and the Bay Area was on the list to go to L.A., San Francisco. But Alcatraz was one of the things my kids want to go to. I haven't been yet. I, I'd love. I'm, I'd go I'm ahead, obsessed sure. with it. No, I'm obsessed with Alcatraz. What was that? There was a movie, wasn't it? Was it a James Bond movie or some, something? What kind of movie? No, it was Escape from Alcatraz. Yeah, it was Escape from Alcatraz. Yes, it's Sean Connery. When I saw that, I was just obsessed with the place. So I've been as well a few times to San Francisco, and every time I go, I just don't plan ahead, and it's fully booked, all of the tours. So that's a, that's a to-do on my bucket list. It's, it's the same thing as the Kingston Pen Tour. If you get a chance to do that one, <laughs> I, I, I highly recommend, actually. I'm, I got a thing with old jails. 
Uh, I've been to the, you, there's a walking tour you can do of the old Don Jail. They left a, yeah. a small block of it oh, wow. uh, by the hospital. So you can do that. It's free. Um, Pre-COVID, of course. I don't know if it's open And still. we should point out everything you've ever been accused of, Dave, you've been acquitted of. So these are just tours. They're not <laughs> actually resi- say, exactly. they're not residence yeah, stays no. or tours of duty. It reminds me why I don't want to go to jail. You go into these places and you're like, oh, this place is I miserable. have a nightmare every year that I'm in jail. Like once a year I, that I'm in jail for obviously a crime I didn't commit, not what I did. Yeah. And it's terrible. It's the worst nightmare you have all year. Yeah, for sure. On this date, 1984, Stevie Wonder signed just called to say I love you. Went to number one on the Billboard. Board Hot 100. Okay. I mean, there's only so much time we've got to weigh in here, but you hate John Waits missing you, and I've never gotten over that. <laughs> this is the same year. Please tell me this is worse. This no. is an amazing artist, Motown, huge songs, Master Blaster, and it's like this was the lick the stamp and mail it in and go to number one. It's awful. I, I love this song. I, I love it. I do too. This is when uh, he was on the Cosby show. Remember when he was on the Cosby yes, show? <laughs> that yes. episode? Where yes. Denise, Denise accidentally hits his limo. No. And then he brings yes. the whole family into the studio and he's got this giant sampler and he samples <laughs> Claire's voice and they make a song out of it. Brilliant. I, I love Stevie. And now they don't show that show for various no. reasons. No, yeah. so no, 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 no. You've appealed to me and I can I love it. So I, we got a I, thumbs down, a Sheba thumbs up, a Rob thumbs up, oh yeah, and a Dave it. thumbs up. There you it's go. It's a great Whoa. song. Yeah. <laughs> Does it have a better chorus than three blind mice? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. Okay. Okay. Uh I can live to be corrected. Uh Stevie Wonders, I just called to say I love you. Number one on this date in nineteen eighty four. Thanks so much for listening. Checking out Toronto today. We really appreciate it. We'll see you back Wednesday with a live show as we're moving through this week already. A short work week back at 5.30 a.m. right here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto.